Episode 94, In Loving Memory of Stephen Chua. This is Ruth Elizabeth Hancock and welcome to Work Your Energy podcast, which is a show all about how to thrive in this energetic universe that we live in. Sometimes you stumble across a credible, unbelievable and enlightening story and Stephen Chua's story is just that for me. He was born in 1960 in Singapore and after a harrowing childhood went on to become a soldier for the Singaporean army in their special forces. He actually had abilities that made him rise up the ranks to the level of colonel by the time he was 21, and from there these abilities took him also into Area 51 in the 1980s, where he was recruited to fly a fly-by-thought plane where you drive it with your consciousness, or in his case, his gamma brainwaves. His abilities included being in a constant state of high gamma brainwaves, which if you have read my first book, Work Your Energy, you will know are the miracle brainwaves that allow you to do incredible things. In the case of Stephen Chua, he was able to see more of the invisible field and could easily see ghosts and elementals or forest spirits around him, had great strength and was also able to pilot a plane with his own mind. In fact, many soldiers had tried before him and had died, but because of his high gamma brainwaves, He was able to do it, but even he found it incredibly hard to fly this plane, and eventually the project was terminated. The book, which is written by Elena Danan and is titled Area 51, Conversations with Insider, Stephen Chua, contains many incredible stories. However, it was his stories around reptilians which interested me the most, and in particular hybrid reptilians through genetic manipulation. I'm researching genetic altering for my next book, which is a very hard area to find information about, but you may remember from my previous episode, The New Human, where I interviewed Mary Rodwell, that there's a lot of evidence of genetic manipulation, and not only are children being born with new abilities, but their genetic makeup is changing as well and so fast that scientists don't really understand why this is happening. I first learned about reptilians from Bill Gates, when he publicly referred to himself as a reptilian overlord. He was joking, of course, but I found it interesting that he would even use those words on live TV, even in jest, so I started to research it. Since then, I have read so many articles, books, and watch documentaries and listen to podcasts around this subject, but none of them have had the credibility of Stephen Shewer's account, which is why I decided to talk about this book today. I really feel that the more that we can find out about our world, the faster we can start expanding our consciousness and ascend to the next level of humanity, which is why information and knowledge is key for me. During the book, He refers to three different reptilian species he met or had to fight with. 
He mostly refers to reptilian hybrids, which are reptilian-human hybrids, and therefore are humanoid, but with reptilian traits, such as thick scaly skin, or reptilian-looking faces. The first story relates to himself and his team, who were guarding the former Prime Minister of Pakistan, Benazir Bhutto, in 1995. There was a report from MI6 and CIA that there was an assassin, so they were on the lookout. They spotted three snipers and managed to shoot but not kill the first two. However, the third one was able to deflect the bullets. Stephen shot at him six times, but the bullets did not stop him and bounced off. Running off, they chased after him and managed to apprehend him with the threat of a stronger type of bullet that would pierce his skin. Stephen described him as human-looking, but had strong, scaly skin, thick and dark. He was also able to hypnotise people standing in front of him. But with Stephen's strong gamma brainwave activity, he was able to avoid being hypnotised. They arrested him and handed him over to the government, and went on to say that he had no idea where he was taken, but added that he felt that the Singaporean government would not be using hybrid reptilians for assassinating prime ministers in their own country. He also describes another time where he encountered another hybrid reptilian at the airbase in Singapore. The Prime Minister of Singapore was being coerced to do things that he didn't want to do, and as he was walking through the base, the soldiers guarding him noticed a reptilian-type being wearing armour and hiding behind some tanks. They managed to apprehend him, arrested him, and again handed him over. But once again, he vanished, and they have no idea where he went. When Elena went on to ask him where these reptilian hybrid super soldiers may be coming from, he responded that he didn't know, but maybe England or China. He goes on to talk about another case, which was in Thailand, where the people were running scared from what they refer to as a demon. They went in to investigate and once again found a human hybrid reptilian, a reptile that looks like a hominid. Because the bullets that they were using didn't work on these reptilian hybrids, they were forced to use swords. But when the police arrived, they all ran away, once again screaming and shouting, demon. As I'm doing a lot of research at the moment around the ancient religious texts, I find the use of the word demon interesting because this comes up in so many ancient myths, religious texts and ancient stories and I'm beginning to understand that what we've always referred to as ghosts and demons and spirits are actually most likely extraterrestrial or interdimensional beings which strange as it may seem sounds far more logical to me. Again another story was in Japan where there were three of these hybrid reptilians killing people. But interestingly, they were using a grey saucer ship to fly around in. This happened in the 1990s, and Stephen goes on to say that these were the same type of flying saucers that he saw in Area 51 in the 1980s. But by far the most interesting story is when he talks about meeting reptilians that were stealing children in the mountains of Malaysia. 
Apparently, the local people had been complaining that their children were going missing, so they went in to investigate. They came to a huge cave under part of a mountain, and out came a reptilian. He challenged them and started telling them to go away. Stephen described him as being around nine foot tall with very sharp teeth, but also wore armour and carried some sort of energy weapon. This energy weapon was able to blow up the rocks in front of the soldiers, meaning that they weren't able to fight them in a normal way using their own guns. More reptilians came out of the cave, but once again their bullets were just bouncing off their armour and their scaly skin, and as they didn't have energy weapons themselves, they were outnumbered. But according to Stephen, he was also carrying a bazooka, and this bazooka was a neutron device. He fired it right into the cave and the entire mountain collapsed on top of it and the reptilians disappeared. He went on to say that they probably didn't die, but their base or hideout was ruined, so they probably abandoned it and went further into the underground tunnels and caves underneath. Either way, the children stopped going missing in that area, so they must have relocated to another part. He also goes on to say that not all extraterrestrials are malevolent, and he has encountered many benevolent ones too. In particular, a mantid being, who was a doctor, and who healed his body when he was nearly dying. I find these accounts so interesting, but also very credible, because they're all accounts that can be verified to a certain point, such as the Pakistan Prime Minister visiting Singapore in 1995. And they are physical accounts, rather than being based on memories or regression accounts, which the mind could easily jumble up. I also find his description of Area 51 incredible. He describes it as a huge place, filled with different sorts of beings or ETs. He felt that there was not genetic alteration going on here or experiments on humans or hybrids, but it was more of an area of research and based around researching different types of technologies, extraterrestrial technologies. I certainly feel that the flyby thought planes were not a technology that we created and were most likely a technology that were given to us by an advanced civilization or advanced species. What I did find interesting, though, is that many of these different beings or extraterrestrials were malevolent and so nefarious in some cases that they had to be escorted around the base by armed guards using energy weapons themselves to ensure that these malevolent beings didn't cause any harm to the other people in the base. He described three different types of beings that he saw in the base, but who were all malevolent. These were the tall greys, two different types, and the short greys, who were worker drones used by many extraterrestrial species, and also humans, so they're more like robots but of a biological nature. However, he did go on to say that they didn't have auras, as he was able to see auras, indicating to him that they did not have souls. There were two tall white species, one very tall, who had very white skin. The males had bald hair, but the females had long white hair. Apparently, they enjoyed using mind control. 
so you had to be careful when you were around them. The other tall whites were very aggressive and had very aggressive looking faces. They seemed to be very angry and had a lot of hate towards humans and as such were heavily guarded because they also had their own portal systems there that they used to travel around between this base, their planet and other locations. Stephen went on to describe that the reptilian species were mainly in charge of Mars and he also met with humans who were coming back from Mars who had been working there. He was very surprised to discover that these humans were seen as slaves and had no rights at all. In some cases, they were highly trained technicians, so to be seen as slaves and not have rights, he found worrying and wondered where they came from. Although he didn't meet any benevolent extraterrestrials while he was there, he did witness a benevolent space shuttle that was owned by a benevolent ET species, and as he described, seemed to be a living thing with its own consciousness. He found the ship to be very positive and couldn't understand why the military didn't seem to have any interest in it. They only seemed to have interest in the malevolent species and the malevolent technology that they were obviously doing trades with. He also describes Area 51 as being a hive of activity and scientists were working on all sorts of things, from flying crafts to floating devices to energy weapons and more. Is this where they got the fly-by-thought planes technology from as well? One of the last things that Donald Trump managed to do before he left his presidency was authorise disclosure on the UFO activities that have been going on on our planet for decades. Although a lot of accounts of UFO activity was disclosed by the US government, they simply stated that they didn't know who or what these UFOs were, but they could confirm that they were not from the US government. Another interesting point is that over the past few months, there have been many more UFO sightings appearing on mainstream news, with many wondering if this is going to lead to disclosure or if it's going to lead to something else. I think what Stephen Chua's accounts tell us or show us is that the US military already have the technology for spaceships themselves. However, with Stephen Chua's accounts, it does seem likely that the US government and possibly other governments as well are already working with extraterrestrials. I'm not saying that these governments aren't clever enough to come up with these technologies by themselves, but I am saying it's rather a coincidence that they're all coming up with technologies that could easily be viewed as extraterrestrial or advanced. And the fact that this has all happened in the past few decades, again, makes one wonder if they are getting some sort of help somewhere from an advanced civilization who are helping them. I understand that this will sound incredulous to many people, but I do urge you to maintain an open mind. Do not allow fear to suck you down and maintain an open mind for what's to come because according to Stephen Chua, there are some things that are going to be disclosed this year and we can only but wonder what they may be. However, I'll end today's episode with Stephen's message to humanity because four days after he 
released his story to the world, he died in suspicious circumstances. And although he had been suffering from ill health for many years due to his time as a soldier in the Singapore army, the fact that he had just released his story, which concerned reptilians, hybrids, Area 51, different malevolent species of extraterrestrial, and the fact that the US government were working with them, as well as maybe other governments as well, does raise the possibility that maybe he was silenced, maybe he knew too much, and of course maybe there was a lot more to come. He urged us to start meditation or practicing meditation every day, and also to stay in states of love and joy more often, because this allows you to move up into the gamma brainwaves. I talk about this in my first book and give you a meditation to practice as well, to allow you to move up into those gamma brainwaves more often when you meditate. He advises listening to the sounds of Tibetan bowls to help stimulate the gamma brainwaves, which the Tibetan monks have been using for centuries, and as such, they are also in high states of gamma brainwaves as well. These have been recorded with current technology, so we know that this is happening. In Elena's book, she also advises using tuning forks which can help you listen to the sound of gamma brainwaves through the tuning forks. According to Stephen, the more that we can raise our brainwave activity up into gamma, the more we will be able to switch back on our natural or psychic abilities that we all possess, and the happier we will feel, because these brainwaves are also known as the bliss brainwaves as well. But I think one thing is for certain, and that is that if you want to see more of the invisible field around you, what your eyes can't currently see, but you can sense or feel is there, then meditating and raising your brainwave activity to gamma will allow you to do this, in the same way that Stephen Chua could as well. After reading Elena Danan's book, I felt very called to record this episode because of the way that he died four days after being interviewed for the first time about his stories and his time in Area 51, and also the different assignments that he was assigned to during his time in the Singaporean army. I feel his life was cut short before his time, and he suffered from many ill health situations, which were probably also because of his amazing abilities there had been a couple of times in his childhood where people had tried to kill him because his hidden talents and abilities were already showing up at this early age. In his own words, Stephen describes being saved by Quan Yin, who healed his broken body after he was thrown off a mountain, and who he also remembers travelling through the air with after his body was poisoned. In their mythology... Quan Yin is described as the goddess of compassion who vowed to free all sentient beings from samsara reincarnation. Because as I also talk about in a previous podcast episode, reincarnation is not real and we are truly stuck inside a matrix or a firmament, if you like, where our souls 
are being recycled time and time and time again through the fabricated karma. I think Stephen deserved to have his story shared. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did reading this book. And with that, I hope you have a wonderful week and I'll catch up with you soon. Okay, take care. Bye.